in Acts 17. Uh, Paul went to Thessalonica and uh, he went to the synagogue. He, he went to the Jews, like the word of God says, to the Jew first and then the Gentile. And so God fulfilled that promise. And uh, Paul went to the, the synagogue, as was his custom, and he reasoned with them uh, from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ, that's the Messiah, had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the Greeks, of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews, who were not persuaded, became envious, and they took some evil men and started basically a riot against Paul, and started causing trouble. And uh, he had to be, uh, he actually was staying at a house of a guy called Jason, and they brought Jason and, and tried to, to um, you know, pin it on him as well, and, and, and you know, basically have them killed. But anyway, they, they took Paul, in verse 10, away to Berea, and when he came there, he went into the synagogue, and these were more fair-minded or more noble than those in Thessalonica, and you will find that at times you'll talk to, to some people, you know, and, and, and they'll just be, you know, angry or offended or whatever. You talk to others and it's like, you, you know, you know them all your life and, and you can get on so well with them. And, and this is what happened here. And these people were noble and fair-minded. And what happened? They received the word with all readiness and they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. I love that. I love that. I think, you know, it's something we need to be so mindful is that every one of you, all of us, we have all been given a free will and we have all been given by God the gift of our own brain and our own, you know, intelligence. And I think that it's so important for people. That's why we study the word of God, because it's so, you know, you can be following people and you can be following roots or, you know, rites or, or rituals or sort of uh, all kinds of, of, of things that, that have been there for generations or whatever. But unless you find it out for yourself, you know, you are not, the, the Lord needs to speak to you yourself and give you the, the rhema and he always will. He always confirms his word with signs following. And... Um, Therefore, many of them believed in verse 12, not a few of the Greeks. Um, but when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was being preached by Paul at Berea, they came there then and stirred the crowd. And you're always going to have persecution. You're always going to have people who are, who are trying to stifle and to quench what the spirit of God is doing in a place where he's stirring up hearts and where he's delivering people and healing people and getting them to know God for themselves. That's the ultimate aim. That's why Jesus came. He said, you know, I came to reveal the Father to you. And he said in, in, in John's gospel, he said, everything I do, I do for the glory of God, that God may be glorified. And um, so anyway, they, they speedily uh, got them out of there as well. And then they went to Athens. And while Paul went to Athens, he walked around the city. And it says his spirit, in verse 16, was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Um, therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the Gentile worshippers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. 
Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some of them says, what does this babbler want to say? And again, you see, you've got this mocking, scoffing type spirit that's, that's going to always try and oppose the word of God. Others said, it's, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. That's why he got into such trouble, because he preached about Jesus and about Jesus resurrected from the dead. And Paul actually went on to write in Corinthians, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, you know, if, as you, you have people who will always say there's no resurrection from the dead. You'll have people who say, oh, look, once you're dead, that's it. You're, you're, you're just in the earth and there's no more. You don't, you don't exist anymore. You know? And those people are denying the resurrection from the dead. And Paul said, if we deny the resurrection of the dead, we might as well not bother have any faith. There's no point to your faith if there's no resurrection from the dead. And you see, it, was, it wasn't just Jesus dying on the cross. It wasn't just him becoming the Lamb of God. It was God raising him from the dead as a guarantee and as a promise that, that he was the firstborn from the dead. And it's so, you know, I think that people need to shift their mindset from, you know, it's like shifting from the law into relationship. It's shifting from old covenant to new covenant. And um, it, it's interesting here that these um, Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, I don't know, does it say it there somewhere, they, they used to sit around all day um, just kind of talking about the latest new things. You know, that's what philosophy does. But, you know, basically all that is is just sitting around idle and gossiping. And, and uh, Paul addressed them then. He stood in the midst of the Aeropagus, I can never pronounce that word, uh, Aeropagus, and said to them in verse 22, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious, for as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you today, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men. You know, some of the people who are, who are racist and, and who are, you know, involved in all those kind of Ku Klux Klan things, they'd want to look at this, that all men have come have come from one blood, yeah. you know, and, and uh, anyway, let's focus here on this. Um, and he has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us in him. We live and move and have our being. Praise God. What a way to live. To know that in God, with Yahweh, our Father, our Creator, as the one who loves us, the one who watches out for us, the one who protects us, who shields us, who defends us, uh, you know, the one who promotes us, the one who blesses us, and the one who made the way for our salvation by coming down himself uh, to save us. In him we live and move and have our being. How different the world would be if, if people could gr grasp this. 
Uh, and also some of your own poets have said, for we also are his offspring. Turn around and tell your neighbour, you're his offspring. You are his offspring. You're his offspring. Hallelujah. There's, you know, there's, there's uh, people, farmers all over the place and they're lambing and they're calving and, and they know exactly which uh, yo had which lamb and which cow had which calf and, and that calf is that cow's offspring. You know, you are your parents' offspring and you are God's offspring. That means you are an extension. Uh, you have been birthed and created by him. And he said he has put you on this earth to live and move and have your being through, through God and through his purpose and plan for you. And um, therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone. And you see, Paul was challenging here their idolatry because idolatry will keep you from being humble and from relying on God. That's why they sat around all day and talked you know, because they were full of their own opinions and full of their own thoughts. And, and, you know, it leads to gossip and slander and all kinds of things. But when people, uh, you know, focus on the, the, the word of God and what God says about them, they suddenly, you know, are, are changed from the inside. And suddenly they start to look at other things and other people all through the filter of God's eyes and God's perspective. And it stops us from being, you know, um, hate, hateful or, or angry or resentful or bitter. Uh, and, and it starts uh, us, uh, you know, living a life of, of manifesting the joy of the Lord, the presence of God, the love of God, the mercy of God. And also, it stops us from being small-minded and narrow-minded. And that's what he encountered in Thessalonica and in Berea when those guys started to stir up. That was a religious spirit. Don't you dare start speaking here about something different to us because this is what we believe. It's what we were born into and it's what we'll be buried into. And, and nothing you can say is going to change us. That's, that's the herd mentality of you step outside the herd and we're all going to... Remember Lango? I don't know if you, you remember this, but in school there was a saying, Lango, they sent her to Coventry or they sent him to Coventry. You know what that meant? They isolated and, and, and stopped talking to a certain person and and, and refuse to have anything to do with them anymore. You know, that's, that's a religious spirit. And it's something we need to be careful of. Um, so anyway, he goes on to say, uh, you know, God is not living in a temple. You know, when we all leave here today, uh, the Lord is not left in here on his own. God is living inside of each one of us. And that's why when we join together, when in fellowship, when, when people, believers come together, there is an increase in the power and the anointing. And back in Isaiah, God promised that it was the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's, what, that's what the anointing is, is the Holy Spirit living inside of you. God's presence living inside of you. And when we join together and when we worship and when we pray, uh, even with rusty voices or, you know, with no music or whatever, it doesn't matter because the Lord sees the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance. And, you know, there's plenty of churches, I'll tell you, all over the world that have all the smoke and all the drums and all the, the bands and everything. And there's not one ounce of anointing in that place. And, 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 you know, the spirit of God 
God is not there. But, uh, and I'm not, of course, there are plenty of anointed worship music, of, absolutely, in churches. But I'm just saying, you know, don't ever despise the days of small beginnings. Because where the Spirit of God is, uh, there is liberty, there is freedom, there is the love and the power of God. And, you know, Jesus, uh, Paul later wrote as well in Corinthians, when he wrote that famous chapter on love, in 1 Corinthians 13, I think it's something that we should read at least once a week, <laughs> if not once a day, when you're struggling with, you know, with, with anger and offense and stress and all kinds of strife. But um, people read it at weddings, you know, and they think, oh, it's lovely for the bride and groom. And it's something that, you know, we should have pinned in our fridge that we should be reading every day. Love, you know, does not uh, bear grudges. Love does not, is not proud or, or lofty, uh, you know, and love bears all things and believes the best of all things but at the end of that chapter Paul wrote and these three remain forever faith hope and love but the greatest of these is love and you see God is love and faith will pass away because one day when we go to be with the Lord or if he comes back in the meantime we won't need faith anymore because he'll be right there. And hope will pass away in that uh, everything that we have hoped for and expected will come to pass. But love remains forever. It's the greatest of all. And um, so, you know, where these people were sitting around all day and, and they, as a result of, of this kind of uh, jibber-jabber chatting and philosophizing all day, what it caused them to do was to engage in idolatry and to start putting up all these amazing uh, statues and pillars and sacred things uh, to all of these gods because... You know, they were, they were getting confused in their minds. And, and they even had one up to the unknown God. And that's what Paul pounced on there. And he said, you know, God is not made out of gold or silver. And those things, they can never, uh, they can never match the awesomeness of God. And so he is appointed in verse 31. Oh, sorry, 30. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent and that's what Jesus, that was the message of Jesus. It was the message of John the Baptist before uh, Jesus was, was revealed to the world. And then Jesus, everywhere he went, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You know, repent, it means stop sinning and turn from it and turn to God because you need to be saved. Uh, the road you've been on is a road to destruction. It's a path to destruction. He said it's wide and plenty of people find it. That's the religious spirit, the herd mentality. We'll do things our own way. It's full of pride and arrogance. And he said, but narrow is the path uh, that leads to God and few find it. And why? Because people don't want to repent. And that's why they had all these gods in Athens. They, they made all these, these statues to all these different um, deities as they saw them. But they were false gods. And uh, he said, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world. How will he judge the world? He's going to judge the world in righteousness. And that is what Jesus came to give us. Jesus was completely sinless when he went to that cross. 
And the word of God tells us, Paul wrote it again later on, that had the demons and the devil known what God's plan was, he would have never crucified Jesus. And I don't know whether you've ever watched the, the Narnia movie, and I know lots of people, oh, I see plenty of things written about C.S. Lewis and Narnia and all that. And, you know, but I don't know if you've ever seen the, the movie, the, the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, but I think it gives the greatest depiction of what Jesus did when Aslan the lion goes and gives himself and he is sacrificed on behalf of this boy. Who, who committed uh, a wrongdoing towards his family and he gave his life um, and, and uh, it's, it's just, uh, you know, it was like he wrote a kind of a, a fantasy story in order to, to um, depict the, the gospel message for children, now older children for the movie, like 12 anyway, I'd say 11, 12. But um, anyway, uh, you know, God overlooked this, this kind of... of uh, demented kind of idol worship and, and false god worship and he calls people to repent to turn back to the Lord to repent of their sins because he is going to judge the world in righteousness that's what Jesus came he had total right standing with God and that's why he was the innocent lamb of God that was sacrificed for all of mankind's sins from the very beginning to the very end the blood of Jesus Christ speaks in heaven today for every one of us. And no matter what you've done or what has been done to you or what somebody else has done to you, that blood speaks forgiveness and mercy for anyone who will receive it. And that's the message of the gospel. And Jesus came and went on that cross. And we had such a beautiful night on Thursday night as we read in, in Genesis. I encourage you to read it in, in Genesis. Um, I'm not sure where it was again. Was it 21? Where... where uh, God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. And Abraham said, no problem. After waiting, you know, all his life to have this child. And, uh, you know, the Lord said to him, I want you to go and take your boy. And I want you to sacrifice him to me on an altar as a burnt offering. And it was a crazy thing for, it seemed, for, for God to ask Abraham to do after waiting so long. And he had promised Abraham, he had made this covenant with Abraham, a covenant of blessing, of, of multiple descendants for generation after generation. And yet, now he was asking Abraham to sacrifice this son. Uh, and when they went... Uh, it said that Abraham put the timber for the offering to, for, to make the fire on the altar. He put the timber on Isaac's back. And that is a foreshadow of God himself putting the cross on his son's back. And he carried that cross. And a Abraham and Isaac, they left the servants. And Abraham said, look, you stay there. Uh, and me and the boy are going to go and offer sacrifices to God. And we will return. This is how the faith of Abraham and, and God said later, Paul wrote again in Romans that uh, Abraham's faith was accounted to him for righteousness. And the gift of righteousness means right standing with God. And uh, anyway, just to finish that, that uh, encounter, uh, when they went and uh, Abraham set up the, the altar to God and he laid the boy on the altar uh, before that, Isaac had turned to him and said, Dad, where's the, where's the sacrifice? 
And Abraham spoke to him and said, God will provide the sacrifice. And when he had laid out his son, you know, his son was obviously a good age that he understood sacrifice and all that. So who knows what age he was? He was definitely of, of you know, he wasn't a small little baby or anything or a small child. He was a big boy, possibly even, I think I read sometime he could possibly have even been up to 20 years of age. And Abraham laid him on the, on the altar and took the knife ready to, to, to sacrifice his son. And when he did, the Lord said, Abraham, stop. Now I know that you would never withhold anything from me. He said, do not touch the boy. Do not harm him. And the next thing, they heard a noise. And there in the, in the, in the briar, after getting caught, was a ram. And he said, sacrifice the ram. And, you know, the picture there was that Abraham... Abraham was ready to sacrifice his son, but he didn't have to. But God had already, before he created the world, he had already sacrificed his son. And, you know, he made a covenant with Abraham. It's the old covenant. And in, in um, Genesis 17, I think it is, he, he, before Isaac was born, God had made a covenant with him to bless him and, and to, to uh, always be his God and, and to, to give him multiple descendants and, and protect him and be with him always. And he said, but in order for us to fulfill this covenant, you must be circumcised, you and all the males in your household. And so Abraham went off and, and got circumcised and all of the men in his household got circumcised. And that was the sign of that covenant, uh, you know, that the man uh, felt pain in the old covenant. But in the new covenant with Jesus Christ, it was God who took the pain and he took it for all of us so that never again would man have to have to go through sacrifice or, or be, you know, be hurt or harmed in any way. And this is so important for us to understand. Look, you know, Lord, I pray in Jesus name that you would help us because in 31, he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. The assurance that you have that the word of God is true is that God raised Jesus from the dead. And Paul later went on, you can read it yourself in, in um, Acts 24, in Acts 26, um, he talks about, you know, how um, also in First um, Corinthians chapter 15, how Jesus appeared first to Peter and then to the rest of the 12 and to over 500 others who all testified that they saw him alive, mm -hmm. including me. He said he also appeared to me. Paul, much later on, was on the road to Damascus when Jesus, uh, you know, and he had he had murdered. Uh, he had stood and watched the murder of Stephen at this stage. He had held the coats for the people who were stoning Stephen to death. He had um, torn Christians out of homes and had them flogged and put into prison. Paul said, you know, I, I chased them all down. And yet this God met me when I was on the road to Damascus and stopped me. And I fell to the ground completely blinded by his glorious light. And he said to me, uh, Saul, Saul, why are you per persecuting me? 
Imagine that Jesus said that to him. When, when the church was being persecuted, when God's people were being persecuted, God didn't see that as, as Peter or James or Stephen or, or uh, any of the others being persecuted. God saw that as Jesus himself being persecuted because he lives inside of the believers. And this is something, you know, we, we celebrate today that, and, and you can have a look at it here now in Luke, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, 23 and 24, and we'll break bread together. But, you know, the thing is, is that it's the resurrection of Jesus that the enemy fights the most because he would have never crucified Jesus had he known that he would have uh, been risen from the dead. Because that is the seal and the guarantee that God has, has given, his promise. Every word that was spoken about Jesus was fulfilled. All the way through, the, through his life, uh, his birth, his, his life, uh, when he went into the garden, when he was betrayed, when, he was, uh, when his beard was pulled out, when his face and his body were marred more than any other uh, human being ever. He took that beating for our healing. And, uh, you know, it says that in Isaiah 52 and 53. Uh, he was despised and rejected, uh, you know, by the people he came to love and the people he came to save. They turned against him and, and they, they crucified him. Um, but in, in Luke, uh, gosh, it's so quiet in here. Come on, shake yourselves a little bit. <laughs> this, this is a good day. <laughs> Hallelujah. Um, we, we, so we studied through on Thursday night um, the Gospels uh, re regarding the crucifixion. And on, in Luke 24, uh, I think this is one of the, well, this and John are two beautiful depictions of what happened. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women, Mary and, and uh, them, came to the tomb bringing the spices that they had prepared. I think that's so beautiful as well. They were too late with the spices. And the other Mary, Lazarus' sister, had already anointed Jesus for his burial when she broke the alabaster jar over his head. And when she, and when she you know, uh, washed his, his feet with her tears and, and anointed him for burial, he was already anointed. And uh, these were too late. Um, she was the one who used to sit at his feet and you know, you're here today and you're sitting listening to the word of God. Don't ever, don't ever think light of that. Because when you're listening to the word of God, you're sitting at the feet of Jesus. And you know, if you were, if you had a little child sitting down by your, by your legs there, you know, you'd, you'd, if that was your child that was there, you would be, you know, uh, protecting them. And, and, you know, you would love that interaction. Uh, of your child sitting with you and spending time with you. There's such a, a transfer of the love of God in that position. And that's how Mary uh, picked up, you know, because she, and, and they ridiculed her. In fact, Judas is the one who said that oil that she poured on him is like a year's wages. Judas was so focused on money. It said in one of the gospels that he was actually robbing money from the bag uh, Jesus had plenty of money. Jesus was not poor and his ministry was not poor. But Judas was the one in charge of the money. Isn't that amazing? And he was the one who ridiculed Mary for, for, for this extravagant gift she brought Jesus. And uh, she was the one who prepared him for his burial. So when they came, they were too late because in verse 2, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. 
Then they went in and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still with you in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. And you know, he did what he said he was going to do. And you can trust God that whatever you read in his word, and this is why you have to know the word of God, because whatever situation is going on in your life, you need to find what God has said about that, whether it's a sickness or whether it's trouble at work or trouble in family or, or, you know, maybe it's uh, inferiority or low self-esteem by yourself. Maybe it's it's something to do with the past uh, that has caused a bitter, a bitter pain and wound in your heart. You need to find out what the word of God says about that because whatever Jesus said, that he will do. And, and you have the power, uh, and we spoke about this last night on Zoom. I encourage you uh, to have a look. Just Google um, the uh, experiment regarding, uh, uh, you know, putting a sticker. There, there's this, it has been scientifically proven. These scientists take these Petri dishes and write on each Petri dish, you know, love, hate, yeah. ugly, uh, beautiful, gracious, kind, or whatever. And, and they just put water into them. And then they take that Petri dish every day. And whatever word is written on the sticker of that Petri dish, they speak that word over that particular, mm-hmm. that particular dish. And the ones that have words of life written on them, like love and, and whatever, uh, you know, life and, and hope and faith, Whatever those ones, they are perfect and they thrive. But the other ones that have, you know, hate or anger or strife or ugly or whatever written on them, those ones are, are, are ruined and, and are rotten inside. And he said, you can do it at home with two jars of rice. Put rice and uh, cook some rice and put it in two jars put love on one and hate on the other and every day take that jar and speak to words of love and words that build up and and uh, bless to that jar that has love written on it and take that word that jar that has hate and speak words of death and anger and hatred and every ugly thing you can think of speak to it and after a week or so you will notice that the jar that has the love written on it is perfectly fine, but that the other jar is starting to rot. It's a proven fact. Your words have matter, and your words matter, and God's word matters. And if you know God's word, you can speak it over whatever situation you're facing. It could be the most, the most horrible, most difficult, most impossible-seeming situation. But God's word in your mouth, uh, as a believer, as, as one who has the Spirit of God living inside of you, as one who has received Jesus as your Lord and Savior and has repented from your sins and received, because of the cross, the gift of righteousness, the gift of right standing with God, you have that power and authority to, to release God's word into that situation and see total transformation. And that's what happened with Jesus. When he went into the tomb, 
He couldn't stay in the tomb because there was no sin in him. He was totally righteous. And, you know, it says, uh, we sing it in, in uh, what a beautiful name. Death could not hold him. It says that in, in either Romans or, or uh, Corinthians. The, the grave could not hold him because he had no sin. He had not sinned. And therefore, what he was doing at the cross was making an exchange for our sin, for his righteousness. Uh, our, our ashes for his beauty. Uh, you know, our grief, our pain for his joy and his, his power and, and that overcoming power that death itself could not hold him. And Paul wrote later on, Again, in 1 Corinthians 15, oh, death, where is your sting? Where is your sting? And so, you know, uh, you have to, to understand what Jesus was doing at the cross, yes, and before the cross, but you definitely need to understand what the resurrection meant. It meant new life, and it means that, you know, that each one of us has been given the gift of eternal life, that when we die and when we close our eyes, you know, it's your, your body, your physical body. Years ago, my, my nephew put it so beautifully when, when somebody in his family passed away and he went to comfort uh, their spouse and uh, he said to her, he said, he's gone to be with the Lord. That's just his earth suit. He was only a little, he was only a young boy at that stage. Um, sorry, it wasn't her spouse, it was her brother, sorry. Uh, he was only a small, small child. He was about three or four years of age. He, he, he was in, in Sunday school here. And uh, he said to her, uh, he's gone to be with the Lord. That's just his earth suit. You know the way the astronauts have, have uh, suits, he said, when they go into space. Well, that's all this is. And now he said, he's with the Lord. And it, it totally, uh, it, it made that lady, you know, have hope and 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 that's the thing is is that the resurrection is bringing us the hope that not only did Jesus get raised from the dead but God has promised that he is the firstborn and that anyone who believes in him will have the gift of eternal life but that's for a long time away in the meantime because of Jesus's resurrection he has overcome death and hell and sin and pain and sickness and disease so that on this earth we can live blessed and and full of peace and full of his joy and knowing that he is with us and for us so it, it's just you know that's what the good news is that's what the gospel is it's not some dead uh, whole load of letters and characters making up words it's a uh, life-giving power and so in him we live and move and have our being hallelujah and so um, as they remembered his words in verse 8 Luke 24 verse 8 they remembered his words the words he had spoken to them the words of life because they were so filled with grief and so filled with sorrow uh, they had watched the most brutal act take place uh, you know with the one who they thought was the savior and then he was dead and gone. They were, they were in utter despair and shock and trauma and grief. And, and it was when the angels spoke the word to them. Did he not say to you that the son of man will, uh, will have to be handed over to sinful men and be, be crucified and die? And then he will be raised from the dead in three days. And it was like the light penetrated 
And that's what Psalm 119 verse 130 says, is that the entrance of your word brings light. So it's almost like, you know when you're on holidays, because it's rare enough here in Ireland, but you know when you're on holidays and you open the shutters in the morning and it's like blazing sunshine and it just streams in. And on the rare days it happens in Ireland. Uh, you know, that's what the word of God is. The word of God, the entrance of the word of God brings light. Amen. And those people, uh, Mary, the two Marys and, and Peter and John who were there, you know, they, they suddenly remembered. Oh my God, he said he was going to rise from the dead. What? He's risen from the dead? And then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales. Because why? Because it was a second-hand uh, piece of information. And you had the guy saying, oh, yeah, yeah, right, okay, something else has happened. Now, lads, come on, you've got too stressed, and we need to start thinking logically here. And uh, Jesus sure gave them a good little rebuke when he came, uh, you know, for that doubt and unbelief. Uh, Peter arose and ran to the tomb and stooping down he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves and he departed marveling to himself at what had happened and if you just turn keep your finger on Luke 24 but just turn quickly over to John John's gospel the next one uh, the next book and in verse um, in chapter 20 I think it's just a beautiful uh, account of it as well is uh, Mary, and this is so funny, I think John is hysterical, and uh, you know, he's talking here about a sort of a race that Peter and himself had, <laughs> and um, the, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, and while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb, then she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, who was John himself, <laughs> writing here, and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And Peter therefore went out and the other disciple, and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter, and came to the tomb first. He's talking about himself here. Uh, and you know, Peter... <laughs> Peter obviously used to find John a little bit hard going because later on when Jesus comes and appears to them, uh, Peter says, and what about him? <laughs> when when uh, Peter, John, Jesus is talking to him and he's pointing at John. But anyway, so there was obviously a bit of tension between the two of them in a way. And... Uh, but uh, the other guy, John outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and he went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloth lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head was not lying with the linen cloth but folded together in a place by itself. And I heard a teaching one time that that, that handkerchief uh, is like uh, when somebody is... is after going through an experience uh, his, with, in the Hebrew culture that they would fold that linen handkerchief and that they would lay it somewhere and the way it was folded represented them saying I will never again eat this meal I will never again go through this and you know that's why the, the, um, it says in Hebrews that the sacrifice Jesus made was one time Amen. for all yes. never again would anybody have to die for sin because his sacrifice was, was, was uh, the, that's why it was finished and um, 
The other disciple came to the tomb first, went in also, and he believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away to their own homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw the two angels sitting in white, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there and she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? That's what he's asking everybody. He asks that question to every man, woman and child. Who are you seeking? And uh, she said, she, she supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. You can just hear the pain in her voice there. And she didn't recognize him because of the grief and the trauma. And, and you know, if you can imagine what they must have gone through after watching the crucifixion and seeing every, every you know, hope and dream that they had from spending the last three and a half years with this man who had totally changed everything, turned the world upside down. There was such trauma and pain in them. And how did Jesus minister? He ministered to her by calling her name. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. So it was when he called her name. And in Isaiah 43, it says, even if you go through the deepest of waters, those waters won't overflow you because you are mine. I know you. You belong to me and I know your name. Imagine that. Look at the person next to you. What's their name? What's the person's name next to you? You know you know their name because you, you know them here or whatever, but Jesus knows your name. He knew your name even before. And people, you know, uh, people sometimes they, they take days to name their baby, uh, you know, because they don't know what to name the child. And, and it's like, you know, but, but God already knew what your name was. And he knows everything about you. And that's why when Jesus called her name Mary, she turned and she said she recognized him then because she knew his voice and she knew the way he called her name. And he said, don't cling to me, for I have yet to ascend to my father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. And in, uh, I don't know if it's Mark's or Matthew's gospel, it says, go to my brothers and to Peter and tell them. Yeah, you said that the last day, Meg. And tell them that I will come to them. And he did, you know, uh, you can read on. It's a beautiful John's gospel there, 18, 19, 20, 21. I think they should be recreational reading because um, just to read, you know, the, the interaction he had with his, with his disciples. But going back to Luke 24, he, um, Peter and, and um, uh, the other guy, what was his name? Oh, the two guys anyway, on the road to Emmaus. And they were having this sad conversation. They were totally down. And the next thing, here's Jesus walking alongside them. And they didn't recognize him. Again, why? Because they were totally traumatized. You'd, you, you know, I don't know if you've ever been through a, a situation where there's been a sudden death, or, you know, in, in, a, in a family. It's, it's such a traumatic, 
you know, thing to, to endure and to go through. And, and it sort of brings a cloud down of, of just utter grief and shock and trauma. Anyway, they were walking along the road and Jesus said, um, what things are you speaking of? Uh, and, uh, or they said, why, why are you so sad? Sorry. Um, and they said, are you the only person uh, in Jerusalem who doesn't know what happened? Uh, the, the things that happened there in these days and he said what things and they started telling him about Jesus of Nazareth and about how they thought he was the Messiah and that he was going to redeem Israel but he was crucified and, um, and this morning then to top it all some of our friends went to the tomb and now they're telling us that he's not dead at all and that he's alive <laughs> and um, they said to him uh, so that's what they said to him. Oh, they said some of the women, and uh, they said like that that they're that he's alive. And he said to them in twenty five, "Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ, the Messiah, have suffered these things to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, so the whole he carried them through the whole word of God." He brought them from beginning to the end of the, of the old covenant and explained where the Messiah was in each one of those books and what would have to happen to him and how it was fulfilled in the death that Jesus had on the cross. And then they drew near the village where they were going and he indicated that he would have gone on farther. But they, they pressed him saying, stay with us because it's evening. Why do they want him to stay? Because he had been speaking the word of God to them. You know, if you think about this, the word of God himself was speaking the truth of the word of God to these people. It was bringing life to them and hope. You know, and, and they, they begged him, stay with us, don't go, stay the night with us. We don't want you to leave. We don't want you to stop talking to us. And so he came in and um, it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. Praise God. So let's break bread, okay? You know, that condemnation is not from God. It is from Satan. And any time you hear condemnation in your own heart, uh, you know, if, if, if the Holy Spirit convicts. And, and when we do something wrong, we know it. Uh, you know, and, and the Holy Spirit convicts you and you just, you know, live a lifestyle of repentance. That's what I would encourage you. Live a lifestyle of repentance and mercy. Not only receiving forgiveness for yourself, but giving mercy to others because it's what Jesus expects. He's going to judge us in righteousness. Uh, like we read earlier. And that righteousness is, is total right standing with God. And God is holy. And he said, as I am holy, you be holy. Now there is no way that we could ever make ourselves holy. And that's why we celebrate communion. To remind ourselves that we needed a savior. Because we could never make ourselves right with God. And so in the same way, we not only uh, repent of our own sins. But we forgive others for what they have done to us. And is it easy? No, <laughs> it's not easy. And it's not easy to forgive yourself either. And a lot of people struggle with that. Many people find it no problem to forgive other people and just get on with it. But they find it very hard to forgive themselves and they punish themselves and hold themselves you know, to a, a, a fierce high account where they, they make their lives miserable and live in conflict. 
and and it can manifest in all kinds of sicknesses and depression because you feel you're never measuring up you need to give yourself some grace and you need to give other people some grace as well and you will have a much more peaceful life Amen. So let's take the cup again. Father God, Father God in, Jesus name, in Jesus' name, I not only today, not only today receive forgiveness, forgiveness for my sins, for my sins. Uh, but I forgive yeah. all those, those who have hurt me, or wounded me, or my family. I release, I release forgiveness, forgiveness and mercy, and mercy to, them to them in the name of and the person of Jesus whether they deserve it or not because I didn't deserve it I didn't deserve your forgiveness but you gave it to me and Jesus your blood speaks mercy for me and for all mankind it's there for anyone who will receive it and today, and today, I make a decision, make a decision to, not to not only forgive others, but I forgive myself, I forgive myself for, the for the stupid things, for the bad things, for the, for the, awful, things for the awful things that I have done. That I, have done. I, forgive myself, I forgive myself. And I ask you, and I ask you to, teach me, to teach me to receive your grace. In Jesus' name, I take this cup in remembrance. Of your, body of your body and your blood, and Jesus. Your blood, Jesus. And, I rejoice and I rejoice in God my Savior. God, my Savior. Amen. Amen. And you know, we read that last night on Zoom. How Mary, when she, when she found out, or when Gabriel came to her and he said, you're going to have a baby. She was like perhaps 16 years old, 17 years old. You're going to have a baby. And she said, how can I have a baby? I have never been with a man. And the angel Gabriel said to her, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you will conceive and he will be, you will conceive a son and he will be the son of God, Messiah, Yeshua. And um, Mary then, you know, as a young girl, just received that word and accepted it. And then she went on to pray. And if you read that prayer, it's in Luke chapter 1. We read it last night. Uh, you know, my soul rejoices, she said, in God my Savior. And Mary needed a Savior the same as all of us do. And, uh, you know, it, it's just uh, Yahweh. It says in, in um, Isaiah, I think it's chapter 12. It's a really short chapter in Isaiah. Yahweh is the God of my salvation. And, you know, God already ordained uh, the plan of salvation and he enacted it and came down in Isaiah 63 it says that God's own arm achieved salvation he came down himself he gave himself Isaiah 63 is a you know I've just been reading it there as well the last few days where he talks about how, how Messiah's garments are all blood and they're covered with the blood of sin and evil and and he did that for us you know, and so um, just to finish here in, in Luke 24, um, we just read there, it came to pass as he sat at the table with them and he took the bread, he blessed and broke it and he gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us? 
while he talked with us on the road. You know, the word of God will, will light a fire inside of you. Uh, you know, when you receive his word and when you, when you start to get to know him, I encourage you to take time every day to spend a bit of time alone with the Lord. Take your Bible and just ask him to reveal the word of God to you because you've no better teacher than Jesus. And we read there earlier, you know, don't take my word for it. And that's what those people we read about in Acts 17 did. They didn't take just Paul's word for it. That's why you have to be careful because some people have gone way off uh, you know, gone way off uh, with what they believe because all they're doing is listening from teacher to teacher to teacher. Take some time every day to spend time in the word of God yourself. Saturate yourself and immerse yourself in his word, even if it's just one scripture. And, and write it out somewhere and, and think about it and meditate on it and ponder. What is God? What are you speaking to me here? And that's what happened here. They said our hearts burned within us when he spoke to us on the road. What was he speaking on the road to them? He was revealing the word of God to them. And when he opened the scriptures to us. So they rose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven. And those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord is risen indeed and he has appeared to Simon, to Peter. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. And now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and he said to them, peace to you. That frightened them. All the doors were locked, it says in John's gospel. All the doors were locked and suddenly, whoo, there he was. And it's like, uh, peace to you. And uh, they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit or a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe, for joy they marveled. Sorry, while they, but while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? They couldn't like believe their eyes. And so they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb and he took it and ate it. And in the NLT, it, you can just picture it. It says he took it and he ate it and they watched him. So you just see them there like watching him eating, saying he's eating. He seems to have bones and flesh. And, uh, you know, it was like it was their, their whole paradigm had to change from everything they knew in the past. And um, then he, uh, where are we? And they took it and ate it. And then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ, the Messiah, to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, so um, Jesus, he, he opened their minds. And that's what the, the, the Holy Spirit, that's his job. He said, the Spirit of God will reveal to you 
the word of God and he will reveal uh, Jesus to you. He will reveal God to you. So when you pray or when you sit down to read the Bible, you need to say, Holy Spirit, will you open my, my heart here? Open my understanding. Like I said earlier, remember that, that uh, scripture. The entrance of your word brings light and gives understanding even to the simple. So as the, as the word of God penetrates, what happens is the lights go on. And it's suddenly something drops down into a person's spirit and, and they say, what am I doing enduring this sickness for? What am I doing enduring this curse and this poverty? It's already been paid for by Jesus. Amen. You know, why, why have I been living and acting like this? No longer am I going to do that. And that's what happens. The Spirit of God transforms and changes people from the inside out. Hallelujah. So Lord, I just pray today in Jesus' name that you would reveal to each one of us the power of your love, of your mercy, of, of everything that you've done for us. Lord, we could stay here for, for the rest of the day and on tomorrow and all week long just discussing uh, the various scriptures, Lord, of, of the covenant that you wrote in your blood, the new covenant. And it says in Hebrews, it's a better covenant than the old covenant. Covenant. Hallelujah. So I, I, I praise you, Lord.